Bottled water is big business in America. In 2016, Americans spent $16 billion on bottled water. According to the Business Insider, the cost per gallon of bottled water is an average of $7.50. That's almost three times how much a gallon of gas costs. And it's 2,000 times the cost of getting a glass of water out of the tap. And yes, I drink it too. I don't really know why. I mean, I guess it's, it's convenient. It tastes better. Although even that may be not true. Uh, they've done studies where people have been given a, a glass of, of tap water and a glass of bottled water and asked if they could tell the difference. And statistically, they can't. They can't tell which one is which. And there's a reason for that. 45% of bottled water in the United States comes right out of the tap. They're just filling the water up out of whatever the municipal water system they have, wherever the water is bottled. It tastes the same because it is the same. Well, here next is chapter 16, or 17 rather. The Israelites would not have cared if it was Dasani or Aquafina or water from the sink. They wouldn't have minded. They traveled a significant distance without finding any water. And once again... They complained to Moses. We're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Well, water is a pretty significant thing. The fact is, we can't survive without water. But as significant as water is, the Israelites and we need to understand there's something even more vital to our life. We can't survive without God. Sometimes we can't see past our need to the one who supplies our need. Unfortunately, as we've seen reading over these last few chapters in in Exodus, this wasn't the first time the Israelites had complained. They'd complained about being slaves in Egypt. They complained about their work being increased because their Egyptian masters became angry. They complained because they got trapped by the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them. They complained that they didn't have food. They complained that they didn't have meat. And yes, they had already once before complained that they didn't have water. We read that passage a couple of weeks back where they didn't have any water. They came to this pond of water that was undrinkable. And God told Moses to throw in a piece of wood and the water became Wonderful. And so God had supplied their need there, but they were fresh out of ponds and fresh out of wood chips. They were in the desert, had been traveling for an extended amount of time. They had no water, and once again, they began to complain. Now, it was a serious situation. In fact, all of those situations were serious, except maybe the meat one. I don't know how terribly serious that was. But the other ones were very serious things. They were life-threatening When your family is in danger, when your life is in danger, you can tend to get a little grumpy. Now, yes, they should have figured it out by now. I'm sure you realize in each one of those things that I named, God stepped in and provided exactly what the people needed every time. 
They should have recognized that God would be there for them in this situation as well. But when you're thirsty, it's easy to lose sight of things that are true. And thirst is a very difficult thing. Uh, the magazine Popular Science describes the stages of thirst. The fact of the matter is our bodies are made up of anywhere from 55 to 65% water. So we need a lot of water just to survive. And as you become thirsty, your body starts using the water that is stored in all of your cells, and that begins to cause some really difficult problems. First thing that happens is you actually sweat less. Now, that may sound like a good thing, but but your sweat is what keeps your body cool. And so as you sweat less, your body temperature begins to rise. And that's a real problem for some of your internal organs. Your blood literally starts to thicken and it becomes harder to pump through your body. So your heart has to work harder to pump your blood around your body. So your heart rate begins to increase as it begins to work harder. And that's just in the beginning stages. If you don't get water soon, your blood pressure will drop. You'll stop sweating entirely, which means your body will begin to overheat To survive, your body will start sending blood to your vital organs, which means some of your exterior organs will begin to hurt, your muscles, your skin, your your face. You'll begin to really feel tremendous pain, and eventually your kidneys shut down, your vital organs shut down, toxins build up in your body, and if you don't get water, you finally will die. Now, it's hard to say which one of these stages the Israelites were experiencing. They probably weren't down toward that other end. They probably were more toward the front end of that. Uh, As far as we know, according to what the Bible tells us, nobody had died of thirst. It certainly had not gotten to that point. But but the, the situation was dire. They recognized that if they did not find some water soon, they were going to be in real trouble. And they were out in the middle of the desert. There was no water in sight. And so as they had done so many times before, they blamed Moses for bringing them into what they perceived as an impossible situation. But it wasn't Moses that made the situation impossible. It wasn't the desert that made the situation impossible. It wasn't even the lack of water. What made the situation impossible for the people of Israel was that they forgot they were serving the God for whom nothing is impossible. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song called Nothing is Impossible. You may remember that song. They used to use it in the Billy Graham Crusades back in the 60s and 70s. They would use this one a lot. The chorus goes like this. Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Nothing is impossible when you're trusting in his word. Hearken to the voice of God to thee. Is there anything too hard for me? Then put your trust in God alone and rest upon his word for everything. Yes, everything. Yes, everything is possible with God. That's a great song. But my fifth grade church choir teacher told us the background story of that song. I've never forgot what she said. It's written by a fellow by the name of Eugene Clark. 
Eugene Clark was completely paralyzed from the neck down. He was bedfast for most of his adult life. In order to write this song, he literally had to dictate the words to his wife. He couldn't even hold a pen to write down the words of the song. So he had to, to dictate those words to his wife as she would write the words out. And then he had to sing the notes into a little tape recorder that they had. And she took that tape recorder, went over to the piano, and began to pick out which note each of those notes was and, and to write that down so they could send the song off to a publisher. And lo and behold, it was published and has blessed many, many people who have sung that incredible refrain, Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. That made a real impression on me. And here is a a man who's not only not able to walk, he's not even able to hold a pen. And yet God allows him to write those words, nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. We would do well to remember that. Because we will all go through our wilderness times just as surely as the nation of Israel did. As far as we will be able to see, we're not going to see an answer. We're just going to see the sand. But in those times we need to remember, we serve the God for whom nothing is impossible. The Israelites' problem was not that they were thirsty. It wasn't even that they were complaining. Their problem was that they had forgotten that the God of the impossible was the one who was bringing them through the desert. We often make that same mistake ourselves. We forget that we serve a God who can bring water from a rock. In this familiar account, God tells Moses, to do what sounds like is impossible. Here's what he said, verse 5, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. I'm not sure how I would have reacted to these instructions. (laughs) Okay, go gather up all the leaders and you guys go out in the middle of the desert. I'm going to show you this rock, swat it with your staff, and I'll bring water out of it. I don't know how I would have responded to the Lord about that. I would have said, you know, Lord, there's got to be a better way. (laughs) But Moses... Simply trusted the Lord. Gathers up the leaders of Israel and they go out into the desert. He finds the rock at Horeb. And it's a really good thing. The nation of Israel had all the doubt they needed. What they needed was somebody to believe that God could do the impossible. That God could bring water from a rock. And you know what happens next. God does exactly what he told Moses that he would do. As Moses strikes the rock with his staff, the water comes from the rock. And and the people not only get some water, but they learn a lesson that they needed even more than they needed the water. 
Verse 7, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The word Massah means temptation or testing. The word Meribah means arguing or murmuring. And every time the people would travel through this area, as they would come to the city limit sign with the name of the city. I don't know if they had city limit signs or not, but they knew what the name of the area was. Masai and Meribah. Testing and murmuring. Every time they traveled through this area, they would remember the day they forgot to trust the God for whom nothing is impossible. I have found that some things that I consider impossible really aren't. I just have to find the right person who knows how to do them. For example, when, when my car starts making a weird noise, I, I, I mean, if it's beyond filling it with gas and checking the oil, I'm at a loss. I don't know what anything else is. But I know some guys that I can take it to. They can look under the hood and they can listen to the noise. And, okay, this is what's wrong and this is what you need to do. When my shoulder hurts or my, my knee is sore, you know, I don't really know what to do about it. But I, I've got a doctor and I tell him, you know, doctor, my, my shoulder hurts when I, when I do this. And he says, well, don't do that anymore. Or, know, he, he, says, he says more than that. But, but he knows. He, he knows the exercises that I need to do or the medicine that I need to take or, or whatever it is. He knows what needs to be done to make it better. When we go on vacation, we, we, we get on an airplane. You know, they take you in the front door of the airplane. You, you go in and to your left is the cockpit. And they usually have the door open. There's some federal regulation that they have to do that at the beginning of the flight. But anyway, they've got the door open. And you can look in there. And there's all the, the dials and levers and buttons and lights. And it looks like a thousand of them there on the cockpit dashboard. But I don't worry about any of that. I just turn right, go find my seat. I, I, I sit down because I know there's a pilot who knows what all of those things are. And he's going to get them all in the right place so that we're going to take off and then we're going to land right there by the beach. And I'm going to be ready for vacation. What is impossible for us is possible for those who have the resources and the know-how. The Israelites needed water in the desert. That was a real problem for them. But that's no problem for the one who created all the water in the universe. What's impossible for you this morning? Maybe you have a health issue. Maybe a financial Need Maybe a broken relationship and, and you've just not been able to find an answer. Maybe you've got a friend who doesn't know the Lord and you've tried to reach out to them, but nothing seems to work. And you, you can't find the right words to help them understand their need for Christ. And that's really weighing upon you. Whatever that impossible thing is, it is really a burden to you this morning. What's your impossible today? Go to the God for whom nothing is impossible. Now, I don't know what answer he's going to give you. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes the things that we bring to him, from our perspective, we think we really need them. But God knows that's not really what you need. So I'm going to say no to that request. Not because I don't love you, but because I do. And because I know I have something much, much better for you than what you're seeking. Sometimes 
God says no, but for very good reason. Sometimes God says wait. He knows what we need and he knows that we have that particular need. But in his timing, it's just not the right time now. And he knows exactly when the right timing is. And so he's saying, I'm not going to give it to you right now. But if you'll just wait, then I'm going to be there for you. I don't know what the answer will be that God will give you to your impossible. But what I do know is we serve the God for whom nothing is impossible. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. And this is a funny passage. Jesus has just said that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, there's lots of interpretations of what that is, but but it's pretty obvious the disciples were thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. If they can't get in... Who can? And, and basically that's what they say to Jesus. They, well, they say, well, you know, if, if the rich and in, in, the, in the, the, the biblical days, the understanding was that God blessed the righteous. And if, so they're basically saying if the righteous can't get into heaven, who can? And here's how Jesus responded to them in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. He said, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What's your impossible today? We, we, we've been challenging you ever since the beginning of the year with, with our, our vision for this year, the NHBC 2020 vision, to create 20 new ministry initiatives to reach 20 new families and individuals for Christ. And, and if you may have noticed today, we've, we've got a board up there that we're starting to list some of the things that you're doing. And we're excited to watch that board fill up with all the ways that you're going to, to reach the Lord. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I sent out 104 different ways that you can reach out to your community. I sent those out to our Sunday school teachers. And, and some of you said you didn't get it, so I'm going to send it out again this week. <laughs> It's, 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 it's two articles that each list 52 ways that add up to 104. See how I added it up so quick? I'm really good this morning. I'm really snapping. 104 different ways that you can reach out to your community. So you can see if there's a way for your uh, Bible study classes to, to reach out uh, in the next year to the community, reach them with the gospel. Some of you may be thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know what else our class can do other than what we're doing. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff, and I don't know, I don't know what else we can do. Or, or I don't know that we can really have all that much effectiveness. I'm not sure what we can do. And then you see the other side of that vision say to reach 20 people or, or beyond that, 20 families for Christ, that, that's a pretty significant goal. I, I, don't, I don't really know how we're going to do that. Well, guess what? We can't reach them. We can't. You and I, we don't have the way to change somebody's heart. We don't have the way to, to make them look to Jesus. But Jesus does. We serve the God for whom nothing is impossible. So what's your impossible this morning? Don't forget. You serve the God for whom nothing is impossible. Heavenly Father, help us remember this morning that you truly are God. That what from our perspective seems impossible for you is just a a simple thing. And so, Lord, we're bringing our impossibles to you this morning. Those things in our life that are 
are really weighing upon us, whether it's a, a health issue, whether it's a, a financial burden, whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's a difficulty at work, uh, whether it's a challenge that we have in leading our friends and neighbors to Christ. Lord, there's just so many things from our perspective that we just don't see how it's all going to work out. We're in the desert, and all we see is the sand. But what we so often forget is that you are the God of the impossible. So we bring our impossibles to you. Heavenly Father, we lay them at your feet and we trust you. And we know sometimes the answer to what we think we need is going to be no. Because sometimes what we ask for we don't really need. And sometimes the answer is going to be wait. And that's okay, Lord. You know the right timing. We can trust you in the timing just as we can trust you in the provision. But Lord, we turn our impossibles over to you today. For you are the God for whom nothing is impossible. For that, we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.